This is Psalms to God, Season 2, Episode 15, The Transition. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, New King James Version. Psalms to God podcast. This is your host, Re, and we are back in the book of Acts trying to get from chapter 6 through chapter 11. Um, hopefully that's not too much to talk about in one episode. We will see as we go along. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of review from the last episode just because some of the things that we left off with um, really play into what happened in the first couple of chapters that we're going to talk about today. So we're going to do a little bit of review and then we're going to talk about the stoning of Stephen. Then we're going to talk about um, preaching to the non-Jews and the conversion of Saul and then the continuance of, you know, like the message going out to the Gentiles. And so let's start with a little bit of a recap. When we left off in Acts 5, the... Jews who had converted to Christianity, or rather, who were followers of Christ, um, they were being persecuted by the Jews who did not accept Christ. They were not welcomed. Their message was not welcomed. They were continually warned not to preach in Jesus's name, and they were thrown in jail. And it's very interesting their perspective because I think most of us would be extremely shocked if we had to face something like that. We live in a country where we have freedom of religion so we're very much accustomed and used to being able to kind of do our own thing and not have to worry about someone telling us that it's wrong or that we can't worship the way we want to worship or who we want to worship and this is just like a very foreign concept to us. But before Christ was crucified, he specifically told them that they would be persecuted for his name. And he told the church, like, you know, people will come for you if you're following him and that they will not like you because they don't like him. And, you know, he asked the question about, you know, is a servant greater than the master? And if they would do that to the master, what would they do to the servant, right? And so all of these things lead you to expect that they should have been persecuted and that we will be persecuted. Um, But I think that because we've been lulled into complacency, our reaction would be very different than theirs. They were actually rejoicing at the fact that they were shamed for the sake of Christ and for Christ's name because it meant they were doing what they were called to do. And it was a fulfillment of what he said. And so I thought it was interesting that, you know, instead of it making them disheartened, it actually, you know, amped them up. It helped to drive 
the Christian religion and the Christian faith, which is partially why we can sit here and have this conversation now because they were actually energized by the fact that Satan was trying to stop Christ's message from getting through. And if they had been timid or bullied into holding back or not pressing forward, we would have never heard the name Christ. We would have never gotten the message and it would have been a disaster. So I'm very thankful that they were headstrong and that they pursued the message of God anyway and that they you know, took the hits that they took um, so that we could have the word today and so that we could know what we know today. And it is with that attitude that we get to Stephen. Stephen is one of the seven men that was chosen to help with the widows. And he was chosen because he had great moral standing. He was a man of God and um, he was doing miracles in the city. And he was just very well known for his commitment and his dedication to God and to Christ. Now, when the Jews heard about this, that being the Jews that did not believe and accept in Christ, they were they didn't like it. They were furious. And so they accused him of blasphemy. Blasphemy is a major crime that is extremely serious. There is basically no coming back from blasphemy. And, um, you know, they essentially put him on trial. Um, they, you know, I, they ask him what he's doing, you know, accuse him of blasphemy. And Stephen goes into this long speech. It's given a whole chapter, chapter seven, and he goes back through the history of Israel. And he's pointing out how at every opportunity they had, Israel turned their back on God and started worshiping false gods. They worshiped idols and they never followed what God told them to follow. And he's basically pointing at them and saying, you're just like your fathers. You're doing exactly what your fathers did. And, you know, he's basically showing them themselves. He's telling them about themselves. And just like in today's society, it did not go over well with them. Um, I think we all have been in that position where somebody's telling you something about yourself that you did not want to hear. And your first instinct is to reject it or to push back and to be defensive. And it's only if you are genuinely trying to better yourself or humbled um, that you can receive such criticisms and correct yourself. Um, They were not at that place at all. So they became enraged and decided to stone Stephen and kill him. Now, before we go into what a turning point this is and what it means for the Christian faith, I want to stop and point out something that Stephen says to them because I don't think I've ever heard this mentioned in church. But then again, of course, I don't really know that people, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon preached on the stoning of Stephen either. Um, I just, like I said at the beginning of the series, I don't really remember talking about Acts in church at all. But there is a couple of verses that are quoted in Stephen's speech that are actually quoted from the Old Testament. They're quoted from the book of Amos. And I want to think it's from chapter two. I'll put the exact reference in the show notes. But um, Stephen says to them, 
Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Rimphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Guys, I don't know if you caught that, but he said that they took up the star of their god, Rimphan. And if you dig into this and you look up the star of Rimphan or you do some research on um, why Stephen would say this or why Amos said this in the first place, you will find that the star that is being referenced here is the star that today we commonly call the Star of David, the hexagram, the six-pointed star. That is not a star that was supposed to be associated with the Jewish people. It is not a star of God. It is not of God. And basically, they started, I don't want to use the word appropriate, but they basically took it from this other God, one of these false gods in the land of Canaan that they were worshiping instead of God. And it's now like a renowned symbol for Judaism, which is insane because this verse, it still applies today. Like, I mean, obviously we know that the Bible applies to us today, but it's just so mind boggling that Stephen was sitting here telling them, like, you took this star that it has nothing to do with our God. It is a false image. It is an idol. It represents idol worship. And you have made it your star and and a symbol of your people. And it's on the flag of Israel today in 2020. Um, I've met, I have plenty of friends who are, you know, Jewish or follow the Jewish faith and they will have the Star of David. I taught at a um, Jewish school for a little while and, you know, they have the Star of David hanging around in their school. And it's just like a well-known symbol for quote unquote Judaism and it has nothing to do with Judaism. Now, I already knew that before I read this, but I didn't realize it had been called out in the New Testament. For some reason in my mind, this was something that happened you know, in modern history, but it was going on even back in Stephen's day and he was calling them out for it. Amos called it out for it before Christ was even born and it's still happening. I just find that found that to be fascinating and I wanted to point it out because like I said, I feel like it's something people don't talk about and it's easy to just skip over and not really pay any attention to. I'll put some links into the show notes, of course, so you can do further research um, if you want to, but yeah. So back to Stephen. Stephen marks a major turning point in how the message of Christ was uh, spread or pushed out. I'm not sure the word preached. I'm not really sure the word that I'm trying to put there. But before the stoning of Stephen, the focus was on the Jews. You had people who fled Jerusalem because of persecution, but they were still going to places around, I guess, the Roman Empire and preaching to Jews that were in those areas. And they were only talking to their own people. A bit of a historical 
you know, fact is that the Jews were very much anti anybody that wasn't a Jew. And if you, um, if you get really deep into like Orthodox Judaism, like the, the Hasidic Jews and things like that, they still don't like people that are not Jews. There's, you know, they had a thing about everyone else being unclean. They didn't associate with them. They didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't like the Gentiles. You know, they were set apart, even though they didn't necessarily act set apart. Um, they let it get to them to think that they were essentially better than these other people. So when they went out to proclaim the word of God, they did not go to the, you know, the Samaritans or the, the regular people. They were basically staying within Judaism. And so when Stephen was stoned, this basically marked a final rejection of Christ by the Jewish people. At this point, the apostles and the disciples are starting to realize that they can't just keep preaching to these people, that it's not going to go anywhere, and that they've, they've said everything they can say, these people are not going to change. And there's a verse in the book of Matthew where Christ tells them, you know, go to a city, and if they will receive you, preach the word. If not, leave. And at this point, it's time to leave. So after chapter seven, we start seeing the movement move into the Gentile communities. Suddenly the focus is not on, you know, Jerusalem or who they preach to within the Israelite community, but it's with them preaching to non-Israelites. And this is a major turning point in how this, the gospel was spread. And that's why I called this episode the transition, because these chapters are really about this transition of preaching specifically to the Jews and into preaching to the world at large. So right after we see the stoning of Stephen, who, by the way, I will insert, we're going to come back to him later, but Paul, who was Saul at the time, was at the stoning of Stephen and was part of, you know, the group that said, yes, stone him. And so that's probably going to be a very interesting reunion in the kingdom. But um, so Acts chapter eight is broken up into two different parts. And the first part focuses on the word being preached to Samaria. Now we know that the Jews had a great deal of issue with the Samaritans. They did not like each other. They did not get along. Um, we see this even when Christ speaks to the Samaritan woman and she is shocked that he would stop and speak to her. There was a lot of tension between these two groups of people. And yet, um, the disciples are making an effort to go to the Samaritans and preach the word. We see first that Philip goes and he preaches to multitudes. Um, he shows miracles. He, you know, gets rid of demons or unclean spirits. Um, and a lot of people are converted to the way of Christ. And one of these people in particular is a man named Simon, who is a sorcerer, and he was well known within the town, and he sees what Philip does, he believes, he repents, and he um, gets baptized, and all of these things. However, 
when time passes, I guess, I'm not sure how much time has passed, but um, what they find is that while there are believers in Samaria, they have not received the Holy Spirit. So they also send Peter and John because they want them to receive the Holy Spirit, which is the important baptism, as we talked about in the previous episode. So when they send Peter and John, this man, Simon, who was the sorcerer, um, comes to them and sees that Peter is basically laying hands on people and they are receiving the Holy Spirit, um, which must have been an awesome thing to see. Um, I'm probably going to do a separate episode on the fact that we don't see that today. And he, he wants to be able to do that for himself. But he doesn't understand what it takes to be able to do that for himself. So he requests to pay to gain this power or this talent. Um, And Peter quickly rebukes him and tells him that that is not how things work. Um, He says that his heart's not right and that he needs to repent. And I think in that exchange, um, because Simon does believe and he simply just doesn't understand, I think he takes the rebuke with good heart. It says that he asks Peter to pray for him so that he is not cursed and all of these other things. And I went into all that detail because I think that a lot of us are like Simon the Sorcerer. Um, We want to take a shortcut. We see people who are, you know, sold out for Christ, people who are doing wonderful things, people who it seems their life is all together. It seems they have this deep connection with God. And we want to have that too. But we just want to jump from point A to point B. We don't necessarily want to put in the work that it takes to get there. And if you remember, um, there is a point in the gospels where the disciples try to heal somebody and they can't. And they go to Jesus and Jesus tells them that um, the only way that they can heal that type, that person, or I think maybe it's to um, dispel a, a demon or something like that. But it says that it can only be done through prayer and fasting. And that is an important point. It's saying that you can't just wake up and just be like, I believe, be gone, demon. Like there is something that has to be done by you to be able to wield that kind of power. It's like a practice, you know, like people who go to the gym, you can't lift the heaviest weight the first day you go there. You have to build up to it. And that's how it is in our relationship with Christ. We have to take baby steps and build through prayer, through fasting, through trusting him, through faith. And as we get deeper into our relationship, that's when we can do these wonderful things that Peter and John were able to do that Simon was not. And I think we've all been in that position. Like I can definitely look back at myself when I was a baby in Christ and see how certain things I believed was an error. And, you know, as we mature, it is our responsibility to help shape those who are less mature than us we're not supposed to just sweep it under the rug and just like scoff at them or just ignore it you have to correct them but you also have to do it in love and in a way that is befitting that person and so i just wanted to go into that a little bit before moving on to the next part which is when he talks to the ethiopian now 
I ended up reading a lot about this um, and it's questionable as to whether it was actually Ethiopia. Don't think about modern country lines. Just in general, it's probably a good idea not to think about modern country lines that have been heavily, you know, changed, especially with, you know, the Western expansions and colonialism and things like that. But Ethiopia was kind of a general reference for, you know, things in Africa that were not Egypt. So it included like Nubia and like all these other places that were around where Ethiopia is today. And um, this man who was from there, who was actually very high ranking um, underneath the queen, Candace is not a first name. Again, I'll put all of these references in the, the show notes. It's actually a title the way Pharaoh is a title. And so he was just like a very important official and he was already reading the word. He already knew some things, but he says like, how can I understand this? Um, You know, he wasn't well versed in the Old Testament. And so he had questions and Philip sits down and talks to him about the questions and starts preaching to him about who Christ is and what has happened. Now, as they're having this dialogue and having this discussion, they pass some water and the Ethiopian asks to be baptized. And Philip says, you know, if you believe, then sure, let's baptize you. If you truly believe, then you can be baptized. And I wanted to get to this point because, you know, I had a very interesting conversation with the pastor of the church that I am a member of about baptism. And I wanna think he might've actually mentioned this particular verse, but the way we see this verse is very different. I have expressed my problem with the modern church, how they do baptism. They will not baptize. I think in the episode I said they will not baptize you you know, unless they're baptizing you into a specific church. And I think what I really meant was a denomination. Like you can't just go and be baptized into the body of Christ. They want to baptize you into their particular church. And most of the time that church is under a denomination. Technically non-denominational is also a denomination. Um, But like if you are attending a Baptist church, they are baptizing you into the Baptist church. If you are at a you know, Methodist church, they're baptizing you into the Methodist church. And like, they won't just baptize you. Just, I just want to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when I expressed this to the pastor that baptized me, you know, he went into this whole thing about how, you know, you're not supposed to be born without a family. You're not supposed to be reborn without a church. There's supposed to be people there to teach you and to guide you and you know to help you grow in Christ. And that sounds great. It makes sense. It does. But here in this example, <laughs> Philip does not stay with the Ethiopian. Philip goes on and finishes what Christ has called him to do. So who was the Ethiopian's church family, because he wasn't Jewish. So he probably went back to Ethiopia. So not only was he not familiar 
with like the Jewish customs. Like, I mean, I guess he was familiar because he was already reading it and already inquiring. But what I mean is he wasn't going back into an area where he would have had a built-in group. It wasn't like they sent him back to the other disciples or something like that. He just baptized him and gave him some clarification. And it was like, yeah, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. And even under him, you know, giving him some sort of foundation, because a lot of, you know, these new age churches, you know, they, they're teaching, you know, you have to go through like some sort of class before they will baptize you. I don't, from the passage, it doesn't seem like he went through, you know, weeks and weeks worth of information. It was more like, okay, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and rose and he can save your sins? Yes. Oh, okay, fine. If you truly believe that, you can be baptized. Um, so I think it's interesting that the modern church puts these kinds of requirements onto people. And that's really not what we see here. And you'll see the same thing as we go in um, later with the Gentiles that are converted by Peter in the book of Acts, which I don't actually know that we're going to get that far far because we're already 24 minutes in. Actually, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Peter preaching to the Gentiles and then we'll go into the conversion of Saul later, even though the conversion of Saul actually happens in chapter nine and what happens with Peter um, and the Gentiles happens in chapters 10 and 11. I think it goes you know, Philip preaching to the non-Jews and um, Peter going out and talking to the Gentiles kinds of goes together. So we'll keep that together and then we'll backtrack to chapter nine in the next episode and then keep going. So once we get Philip talking to the Samaritans and the Ethiopian man, then in chapter 10, a man named Cornelius, who is um, a centurion, in the Roman army. So he is uh, Roman and he is a Gentile. He is also a follower of God. I think a lot of times people lose track of the fact that people other than the Israelites were worshiping the God of Abraham. And so he was one of those people that he was worshiping God and God told him to seek out Peter to get more information. But God didn't just tell Cornelius this. He also goes and gives a vision to Peter so that Peter would know that it was okay to talk to Cornelius. Now, this vision gets misinterpreted all the time. People often think that this is, you know, about eating unclean meat. And it's not um, because Peter actually verbalizes what it means. And if you study visions throughout the Bible... Beasts always represent nations. And so God gives Peter a vision of these beasts, some of which are unclean, which represented the unclean nations. And he tells him to go kill and eat, which means to go out and spread the gospel to these nations. And Peter confirms this both in chapter 10 and in chapter 11, that this is what the meaning of that vision was. And so Right after he has this vision, Cornelius's men show up and he goes to speak to Cornelius. And this is 
again, this is part of this transition, a major turning point. Peter himself tells you that it was forbidden for Jews to converse with Gentiles, let alone to be in their house and to fellowship with them. That was unheard of. You can think of it like civil rights era America and having a white person show up in a black person's house just to like hang out and chill. Like that's not, that wasn't normal. And um, this is essentially how the Jews treated people who were not them. So Peter gets this vision and he's like, okay, I'm going to go talk to Cornelius. He goes to talk to him and... As he's preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes upon the room. And not only do the Jews in the room get the Holy Spirit, but also the Gentiles. And this is the first time they've ever seen the Gentiles also receive the Holy Spirit. And they are shocked and appalled. And this is a new thing. This is a game changer. And in the aftermath, you know, there becomes like a deliberation of what's going on. What are you doing? At first, the other disciples are not okay with it. And there's pushback, like, wait a minute, we didn't bargain for all that. Um, and then after Peter explains the vision and tells them what happened, then they're like, oh, okay, so salvation has also been given to the Gentiles. And that is when we see this, you know, this full transition of the apostles and the disciples preaching to the world at large and to the Gentile population. Now, before we close out the episode, I want to go into this word Gentiles because I feel like the church often uses the word Gentiles just to mean non-Jew. And if you look it up in a dictionary, I think that's what the dictionary will tell you, that Gentile is a non-Jew. But when I read this, these couple of chapters, and when I thought about the Bible as a whole, I seriously question that definition. And why I say that is when we go through, we're just going to stick with the book of Acts, right? So we're going through the book of Acts, and we see that Philip goes and preaches in Samaria. And then Philip preaches to an Ethiopian. And no one seems to have a problem with that. The We don't see them confronting Philip about preaching to these Samaritans. And it says there was a multitude and we don't see anybody push back about him talking to the Ethiopian. And again, he goes with the Ethiopian, he goes into Samaria and he doesn't say anything about this whole Jews not supposed to fraternize with Gentiles stuff. Like he's just going with the flow. But then all of a sudden when we get to Peter talking to this Roman person, this Roman soldier, suddenly God has to give him a message that will allow him to go speak to him. And suddenly the disciples have a problem with it. And they're saying, why are you talking to the Gentiles? And when you dig deeper into this, you'll start to notice that throughout the Bible, When the Israelites are referencing people from the Hamitic tribes, that's the descendants of Ham. So the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, all of these people are referred to by name, by their tribe. And even the other Semites or Shemites who are not Israel, like 
the Ishmaelites, the Moabites, the um, Ammonites and stuff like that. All of these people are mentioned by their tribal names. The only time they really reference somebody and call them a Gentile is when they're from the Jephthite tribes. And that would be the people who went into Europe. And it makes me wonder if when they refer to Gentile, they're actually talking about the European nations, not the African nations. Because again, like I said, we see interactions between Israel and, um, you know, the African nations, the Hamitic nations, and it doesn't have that same interplay. So I just find it interesting and something to ponder and to think about, you know, not that it's excessively important, but just something to point out as you read through the chapters and as you see how they're using the word. Um, and of course, it then begs the question of, of why was it such a thing and why was it such a clash between the Jews and the Gentiles if Gentile doesn't mean everybody other than Jews. Now, I have my theories and my theory is because the Jews and everyone else had already intermarried, right? I mean, even from the beginning, um, you know, Judah married a Canaanite, Joseph married an Egyptian woman. You already had Hamitic blood in the tribes. Um, so to differentiate between them and the Canaanites or them and the Philistines was very difficult. And so I honestly almost feel like the Israelites and these Hamitic peoples they saw themselves as one group, but they didn't really intermarry into the Japhetic tribes. And that's why they were distinctly separate. Um, now, that's not law. Obviously, like I said, the definition, the textbook definition of Gentile is anyone but a Jew. But I am saying question everything. So <laughs> that's as far as I think we will go today. Um, that was Acts chapters 7 and 8, 10 and 11, and we will pick up with the conversion of Saul next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know it was a lot of information. I will make sure that I post the show notes and add in any extra references. Um, don't forget to like and subscribe. And we have a new Instagram page. I separated it out from my personal page. Um, you can find it at Psalms underscore two underscore God. Um, that will also be in the description. You can follow us there to get updates and also to see sneak previews of my notes as I go throughout the week trying to plan the episodes. So once again, have a great week. I will see you again. Bye. <laughs>